1: One of President Donald Trump's early supporters in Congress, New York Republican Congressman Christopher Collins and his son, have been indicted for insider trading and lying to the FBI. At a pre- press conference today, the Manhattan U.S. attorney Jeffrey Berman said that Collins is accused of tipping off his son to the results of a failed drug test at Innate Immunotherapeutics so that he could sell shares. Berman said that as a board member of the company, Collins had a duty to keep the information secret until it was released to the public.
2: But he didn't keep it secret. Instead, as alleged, he decided to commit a crime. He placed his family and friends above the public good.
1: Joining me is former prosecutor Peter Henning, a professor at Wayne State University Law School. So, Peter, this is believed to be the first insider trading case against a sitting congressman. Other than that, is this a fairly typical insider trading case?
2: Uh, I think it is, June, because... This is a standard tipping-type case. I mean, we saw this back with, for example, Rajat Gupta, who was on the board of directors of Goldman Sachs, tipping off Raj Rajaratnam. This is a corporate insider getting information, and rather than selling himself, uh, tips off his son, who then tipped others. And so... but for the notoriety of of it being a sitting congressman, it really is a fairly down the middle straightforward case.
1: The detail here is remarkable. I think there's more detail than there was in the Gupta case. You have the exact times of the calls Collins got, his six attempts to call his son, and then the chain of tipping that allegedly went on with calls to his fiance, his fiance's mother, his fiance's father, and a friend. I mean it's it's hard to rebut that, isn't it?
2: Uh, certainly, it will be a challenge. Um, but the, what the prosecutors have here is very much of a circumstantial case. I don't think we have a recording of the key phone call that lasted for about six minutes. But uh, you have the news getting to Congressman Collins, Congressman Collins calling his son, and the next day his son and others sell out their position That's a classic circumstantial insider trading tipping case. So in that regard, um, it's interesting that they have all these details, but that's how they had to put their case together. You've got to have the contact between the trader and the source, and it was traced here to Congressman Collins, and that's where they're going forward with it.
1: Collins' attorneys, of course, say he'll mount a vigorous defense, but they say it's notable that even the government does not allege that Collins traded a single share of innate therapeutic stock. Is that really important?
2: Uh, Ultimately, no, not for insider trading liability. If you are the source of the information and you give it for the purpose or knowing that the recipient of the information, the tipi, is going to trade on it, then you are just as guilty uh, as the person who traded the shares, even though you never traded a stock at all. And so in this case, Congressman Collins owned, um, I think it was more than 15 percent of the company. He didn't trade any of his shares, but that doesn't absolve him of any blame if he was the source. And we have seen this in other contexts. Uh, For example, a case from a couple of years ago involving Sean Stewart, um, who his father got information from him, and Stewart was convicted for being a tipper, although he was recently released from prison. So uh, th- there's nothing new here about the tipper not trading.
1: Now, this is, he's up for re-election, Collins, and we've already seen that two analysts are moving this the you know this race from a safe race to a not so safe race is there any problem with the indi- with releasing the results of this indictment so close to an election
2: Well, typically, the Justice Department won't uh, release charges within 60 days of an election. We're a little bit more out from that. But I think um, what the United States Attorney's Office here was looking at was they had wrapped everything up. They had all the information that they needed. And will it have an impact on the election? Being indicted on federal charges is not a positive thing. So uh it could well have an impact, but in fairness to the U.S. Attorney's Office, this is a Republican appointee uh at the moment who is charging a Republican congressman. So it wouldn't appear to be something that is politically motivated. I think more just
1: that they
2: were ready to go with their insider trading charges and the time had come to bring them, especially with the congressional ethics investigation going on, that – the U.S. Attorney's Office decided that they, in effect, wanted to take charge of this case.
1: Now, there are also charges of lying to the FBI, and um, we've seen those charges cause convictions by themselves. Those Are those easier to prove?
2: Uh, well, uh, they are easier to prove in the sense that you just bring the FBI agent up onto the witness stand. So it's not a circumstantial case. It is more a case of direct evidence where the agent testifies, this is what I was told by whoever the person is. And then the government brings in documentary evidence to show that that was not, in fact, the case. And here in this type of a case, we're talking about trading records, phone records, things like that. The type of evidence that is not really subject to cross-examination. So uh, what the government will, do is it will rely on the agent or the agents, if it was more than one, to come in and say, this is what we were told, and we're going to show you that it's a lie. And of course, for this kind of a charge, you have to show it wasn't just ambiguous or it wasn't the complete truth. You have to show that it was an out-and-out lie, and that's where the documentary evidence will be the uh, key for showing that, in fact, the agent was lied to.
1: All right, Peter. I think they had some, they have some of the evidence ready already because the the U.S. attorney had huge boards with with different uh, you know boxes and the chain of insider trading. Looks like they're ready for trial. Thanks so much, Peter. That's Peter Henning, a professor at Wayne State University Law School. Rick Gates, the star witness in the trial of Paul Manafort, admitted that he stole, lied, and cheated, but asked the jury to believe his testimony anyway. The defense attack on Gates in cross-examination was brutal and often personal. Joining me is former federal prosecutor Robert Mintz, a partner at McCarter & English. So, Bob, Gates testifies that he stole on behalf of Manafort and, and from Manafort, and he falsified letters and invoices, made false statements in a deposition... Those are crimes that relate to credibility, a little different from someone admitting to be a robber or trading on inside information. Can the prosecution get all six jurors to believe him?
0: Well, that's certainly what they're hoping. Uh, there is no question that this confrontation between Paul Manafort and his former right hand man, a relationship that spans two decades, is the climax of this trial and ultimately. For, pro- for the prosecution to win this case, they have to convince jurors that Rick Gates is telling the truth now, even though he admitted to lying repeatedly both to Paul Manafort and to prosecutors in the past.
1: So the defense attorney was relentless in his cross. He moved quickly from topic to topic, and at one point Gates seemed confused and he contradicted himself one time. He was also reluctant to use the word embezzlement How much damage did the defense do with that, and what would prosecutors do to repair it?
0: Well, there's no question that the defense has a lot to work with, because one of the standard tactics that defense lawyers will use is to pose to jurors the question, If this witness has lied in the past, uh, how do you know he's not lying to you now? And certainly, Rick Gates has an awful lot to gain by testifying in a way that helps himself and hurts Paul Manafort. So the defense case will essentially hinge on the question of, can you believe Rick Gates, somebody who has admitted to lying repeatedly in the past? The way prosecutors deal with that is to say to jurors that we're not asking you to rely solely on what Rick Gates has said. We're going to show you corroborating evidence. We're going to show you documents. We're going to show you emails. We're going to show you other testimony from the accountants, for example, all of which falls in line completely with what Rick Gates said to you. But at the end of the day, prosecutors are still essentially vouching for his credibility, and they're basically asking jurors to accept the fact that although he has lied before, he is now telling the truth.
1: So the prosecutors brought out this litany of his past crimes on Correct. But I'm curious about why they didn't bring out the affair that Gates admits to. They have to have known that the defense would bring that out because it damages this area of his life, his relationship with his family.
0: Well, yeah, that's an interesting question, and it seems that there was some back and forth between prosecutors and the defense where the prosecution had argued that the fact that he had an affair in and of itself does not go to his credibility, and there's some law uh, in the Fourth Circuit that says that the fact that someone has an affair doesn't necessarily go to their truthfulness. The The defense had agreed that they would not bring it out, but what actually happened at the trial... As soon as the defense went after Rick Gates for having an alleged secret life, Gates was the one that blurted out the fact that he had, a, had an affair, and that's really how that came out. But the defense was going to argue that the they were bringing this issue out not simply to show that he was having an affair, but that he was using some of the money that he stole from Manafort to support that relationship.
1: That's interesting. The The judge has clashed with prosecutors throughout the trial, and he's also shown himself to be rather quirky, to put it mildly. But something he said yesterday was shocking. When Gates said that, that Manafort was very good at knowing where the money was and where it was going, the judge said he didn't know about the money you were stealing, so he didn't do it that closely. Isn't that the judge injecting his own opinion which is negative about the credibility of the state star witness...
0: So it's not something that a judge would typically say during a trial in front of a jury. That's something you would normally expect the defense to point out to jurors in their closing statements or through their cross-examination of Mr. Gates. But I don't think it necessarily does much damage, because it was obvious to jurors that while on the one hand, Gates was saying that Manafort was watching every penny and was aware of every uh, the flow of money and exactly what was going on with all his finances, he had at the same time to admit that he was embezzling money from Manafort by inflating his own invoices. So in a sense, uh, that issue had already been laid out there and was something that the defense was going to jump on at closing arguments or through cross-examination, even if the judge hadn't mentioned it.
1: Is there anything an attorney can do during a trial if he or she feels that a judge is being unfair or you know, saying things in front of the jury. Can you go to the administrative judge or do you just have to wait to see what happens and try and appeal?
0: Well, there's two things you can do. I mean, first of all, you can put an objection on the record to preserve that on appeal if you believe a judge has overstepped his or her bounds and in any way prejudiced your case. And there's also an opportunity during the many sidebars where lawyers approach the bench and have a private conversation with the judge out of earshot of the jury to express your dissatisfaction with what is being said, and a judge may reconsider their position or may at some point Point at the end of the trial, given instruction that attempts to cure what may have been an inadvertent statement. So we'll see whether this issue comes up again. But uh, generally, those are the ways that lawyers have an opportunity to try to uh, deal with a situation where they think a judge may not be entirely fair.
1: Um, it seems unlikely, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Is there any chance that Manafort might testify?
0: Um, Well, it's always a possibility, and that decision will ultimately be made by Mr. Manafort himself, but you can almost guarantee that his lawyers are going to strongly urge him not to take the stand. He has very little to gain by testifying and an awful lot to lose. Once the defendant takes the stand, it really gives prosecutors a chance to retry their entire case through the cross-examination of the defendant. And I don't think in this case the lawyers are going to allow him to do that, and I think it's highly unlikely that he'll ultimately testify.
1: Um, how we know what, what the defense is trying to do here with Gates, but what else... Do you see they could do in their defense to humanize Manafort, or you know what what could they do?
0: Well, I think ultimately this is case is going to be one uh, that turns as most. Uh, criminal cases do on a question of reasonable doubt. Remember here, the defense does not have to prove that they are innocent. They simply have to prove that the government has not proven its case beyond a reasonable doubt. And if they can make Rick Gates uh, so unpalatable to this jury, where the jurors believe that the government cut a deal with somebody who committed so many crimes and lied so many times that they are just not going to sanction that, that's probably their best hope for getting at least one juror to refuse to vote for a conviction. And even a hung jury in this case would be a victory for the defense.
1: It certainly would be one out of six. Thanks so much, Bob. That's Robert Mintz, a partner at McCarter in English. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg.